tonight. We think about this text that Joshua just read. And by the way, he did pretty good on that 45 second, 60 second testimony. And through our walk across the room, I hope you're working on those as well. But let me ask you a question. It's going to seem a bit strange at first, but there is a purpose to this question. What do the following people on your screen have in common? Vanilla Ice. Los Del Rio. Baja men. Carl Douglas. Norman Greenbaum. Who said it? I should have a prize for you. Yeah. A one-hit wonder. Have you heard that phrase before? These guys, these groups are one-hit wonders. They had a number one song one time. But after their one hit, they really didn't have much else to offer, at least in the music world. And so we have songs like Ice Ice Baby, The Macarena, Who Let the Dogs Out, Kung Fu Fighting, and Spirit in the Sky. We remember the songs, we don't really remember the artists. There was no consistency in their performance, in their creative, no musical fruitfulness. And there have been many people across the ages, many different types of careers, had their 15 minutes of fame. They kind of disappeared, never to accomplish anything else, or at least that people acclaimed them for and admired. And in some cases, they kind of hung around a long time, living off their one past success. On the other hand, there have been some artists who have been phenomenally fruitful and not just for one time. They've been consistent season after season after season. And not only do we remember their songs, we remember who they are. The Beatles, 20 number one singles. I don't know how many number one albums they have, but 20 number one singles. Elvis Presley. Anybody remember Elvis Presley? Some of, you know, people Isabel's age remember those, those kinds of people, you know. Eighteen. Eighteen number one hits. Now, this is interesting. Mariah Carey has 18, and she's still going. So, let's think about our personal walk with Jesus Christ this morning. Are we kind of one-time flashes... Yeah, one time I bore fruit, but I've kind of faded into the shadows of Christian community now. Are there some spiritual things that we did once upon a time, but we've not really been consistent in our following of Jesus? Because the goal of following Jesus is not just to have little moments of dedication, but a constant going hard after Jesus, no fads. So I want you to keep your Bibles open, the book of Acts chapter 5, and a few other verses in Acts we're going to look at. But let's open our hearts to the desires of the Holy Spirit here. So in verse 33 that Josh first read, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Well, what is this, when they heard this? What does that refer to? If you want to glance back, that's what Pastor Jerry taught on last week. The apostles have been preaching They'd already been put in jail once for preaching the gospel. They'd already been put in prison one time. This angel released them though. And what did they do? They went right back into the temple and they began preaching again. 
So when we pick up the action here in verse 33, the Jewish council gets them out of the temple, drags them before their little court, and they're basically going to say, look, we told you guys to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We told you to stop telling everybody that the blood of Jesus is on our hands. This was like bullying to the extreme. The religious leaders had a target on these apostles. By the way, for our students here this morning, good job Wednesday night. Uh, if y'all weren't here Wednesday night, our students led us in prayer. And uh, it was interesting the way they, they did it. And, and one of the things that they wanted to pray for was bullying. And it was a, a, a good presentation. Well, I mean, you're, you're living this right here in, in the book of, of Acts. Uh, and the bullying is going to continue. It's going to become even worse. Uh, but God has a lot to say about that at this point. These uh, religious leaders had a target. And I hope for our students that this won't be the last time that you'll lead our church in prayer. I pray it won't be a one-time thing. I hope you're already energized from that and, and thinking about the next time. Now the apostles, if you look back in verse chapter 5 and 29, they had an answer for this, what were they doing? Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus up, whom you put to death by your hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted and is the right hand as a prince and savior. Isn't that interesting? With the death of prince this week, we have a prince. And I can only pray the worldly prince that someone walked across a room a time or two, shared a 45 second 60 second testimony and maybe he asked some spiritual questions I hope he's in eternity in heaven I hope someone was faithful in saying here's the gospel message but this is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So that's last week's sermon. And when the council heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the quick. And it says they intended to slay these apostles. Interesting phrase here, this cut to the quick. It means a, a, a deep, piercing pain. Have you ever had like a fingernail or toenail get get pulled back into the quick we call it remember that ow that hurts or you picked out a hangnail or something or you cut your yourself you know slicing a tom tomato that's what this is talking about and what cut them to the quick was this message that the apostles preached because it indicted them in the death of Jesus and it cut them to the quick this message of the resurrection cut the Sadducees to the quick because they didn't believe in a resurrection or afterlife. And this cutting to the quick enraged the Sadducees so much that they wanted to kill the apostles. No more prison for you guys now. You had your chance in prison. We're going to kill you. And this cutting to the quick can work two ways. Sometimes it leads to repentance. If you recall several weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after Peter preached at Pentecost, the crowd heard it, the message, and said, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Same thing, cut to the heart, cut to the quick. 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? This message hurts us. It's painful that the blood of Jesus is on our hands for our sin. And of course the answer was, you need to repent and turn to Jesus. And my guess is there's some of us here this morning that need to hear that message that Jesus died for your sin. Because all of us have the blood of Jesus on our hands, right? We all had a part in that because of our sin. But God's raised him up. He offers forgiveness to those who repent. And if that cuts you to the quick, if you're saying, ouch, I don't like that. I want to be right with God. I don't want to rebel against this message. Then today's the day of salvation to embrace it fully, 100%, wholeheartedly. But for other people, this cutting to the quick doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to enragement. And these Sadducees, they, they just dug their heels in even more in this instance. Stop preaching about Jesus and telling us that there's blood on our hands. We're going to kill you for it. It's going to happen again in Acts chapter 7 in a few weeks when Pastor Jerry gets there. There's going to be a believer named Stephen. He's going to get up and preach basically the same sermon. That you guys are just like our forefathers who persecuted the prophets. You killed Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He's to judge the living and the dead. And in Acts 7.54, here's that phrase again. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And this time they even begin gnashing their teeth. They're, they're enraged at this. And if some of you remember what they did to, to Stephen, <laughs> they were so cut to the quick, not that they felt bad about their sin, they felt bad about the message. They go, ouch, I don't want to hear this. And they stone him to death. The truth always cuts us to the quick, right? But people react in different ways. And my prayer is for us this morning that we will come to repentance and not just sit back and say, ouch, that hurts, but I'm not going to do what God wants me to do no matter what he says. Now as we move into the story, the historical story here, Author Frank Stagg calls the book of Acts the early struggle for an unhindered gospel. I like that because that's exactly what these early chapters of Acts is all about. It's a struggle for an unhindered gospel. It's a struggle to keep the gospel accurate. We killed Jesus, blood on our hands, but God's raised him up. And we need to repent from that. It is a struggle to unhindered, to preach it clearly... And so we have now this new character who enters the scene of the council, this judgment seat, this tribunal. His name is Gamaliel. And the council here is the Jewish Sanhedrin. Now stick with me for a moment here because the Sanhedrin was composed of basically two religious parties and they always didn't agree on everything. We've met the Sadducees all the way in the book of Acts. The Sadducees have already been introduced. But now for the first time, we're going to hear from Gamaliel, who is the leader of the Pharisees. 
Now these two religious parties, there were about 70 of them that made up the council or the Sanhedrin. And they ruled over the religious affairs of the Jewish people. Cases came to them and they made decisions. This is the crew that put Jesus to the death. It said, let's take him to the Romans and see if they'll crucify him. The Sadducees, who we've already discovered, was the, the wealthy class. They were the aristocrats. They were closely connected to Rome. They held the, the most power with the Romans because they, they cozied up to the Romans. We know in the past that they did not believe in an afterlife. Hence, they didn't believe in a resurrection. And the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, they, they just balked at that. And balked at any teaching that Jesus was going to raise us up from the dead if we repented from our sin. They were ready to slay the apostles. They're furious about being called out for having blood on their hands and that there is a resurrection. Now the Pharisees, the other party, um, had more influence over common people like you and me. Now the Pharisees were very well educated. Uh, they were lawyers concerning the Old Testament. They were hyper, hyper loyal to the religious traditions. They were highly respected by all the people. And while these two groups didn't always agree on many things, they were united against the crucifixion of Jesus, and they are united against the early church movement. Now hang with me even further, because inside the Pharisees, there's kind of two little groups. There's one that's a little more rigid in their interpretation. They're kind of like the tea party, you know. And uh, there's one that's a little more liberal or a little more moderate, even though all of them were conservative according to the Old Testament. And Gamaliel was the leader, the rabbi of the council. He was the head of both groups. He was known nationwide. He was a powerful voice inside the Sanhedrin. But he was of the more liberal school. This is why we see him taking a more moderate approach to these disciples. Rather than, yeah, let's just go kill them. Now most likely, Gamaliel was tolerant of the apostles for several reasons. First of all, and this is a, a good reason, is the apostles were law-abiding citizens. The apostles were not causing rebellion and violent uprising in the streets. They were not insurrectionists waving banners and having protest marches and drawing the attention of the police or the Roman army. They're just apostles preaching Jesus crucified and him resurrected for the forgiveness of sin. But also for Gamaliel, I think this is probably a little bit of a, a poke across the political aisle at the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection because the Pharisees did. The resurrection is taught in the Old Testament. There is an afterlife. They held strong to the teachings of the Old Testament. So there's a little poke going on, a little political posturing going on that we don't know anything about that in American politics because ours is so pure uh, a democracy here. So what he does is he offers two 
historical illustrations to serve as his case, his support for taking it easy on the apostles, to taking a moderate support rather than the Sadducees who just want to slay them. Now first he mentions um, in verse 36 a guy by the name of Thutis. It rhymes with Judas. Now historically we know nothing of Thutis. He's a one-hit wonder. He's a flash in the pan as verse 36 describes. He claimed to be a somebody. And he got 400 people to follow him. Woo-hoo. And he led a revolt of some sort, probably violent. And he was slain. And when he was slain, his followers dispersed. You know, the old slogan is, you cut off the head, the body will die, right? Now, Gamaliel's probably insinuating here. Look, guys. Jesus thought he was a somebody. He gathered a few hundred followers. But since we've killed Jesus, and by the way, there's, there's blood on the hands of Gamaliel. He was there when the death sentence on Jesus was pronounced. Jesus has died. These followers, just like Thutis followers, they're going to disband. They're going to go back to fishing. They're going to go back to a normal life. Strike the shepherd. The sheep will scatter. They're just on a little spiritual high. They're going to come down from this thing. Now, the second person Gamaliel mentions is Judas of Galilee. Now, we do know a little bit about him from secular historian. Judas led a revolt in the year 6 AD. Jesus would have been a small preschooler. He protested taxes paid to Rome on the grounds that Israel had no king, but God himself was their king. And he led a violent revolt against Rome. Rome came in, put an end to that. It was ineffectual. And once Judas perished, the followers basically scattered. Now, um, don't close your Bibles literally, but close them for a moment because I'm going to give you a little sidebar here. Here's some trivia pursuit in case you ever get on Jeopardy. And they ask you a million dollar question. I want to have you prepared for this, okay? After this Judas died, there were a group who was for that cause, not paying taxes to Rome. They continued to meet underground. They they were never violent again, at least during the days of Jesus. And they came to be called the Zealots. They would meet and try to influence people to their way of thinking, And they were called the Zealots. Now, we know of one former Zealot mentioned in the Bible. Because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he also wrote the gospel, says that there came a time when when Jesus was surveying all the disciples that were following him. He chose 12. When the day came, he called his disciples to him, chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom we also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. There it is. Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He's also mentioned in the list of the apostles in Acts chapter 1. This person who formerly held kind of that position 
became a true follower of Jesus Christ and an apostle, one of the ones being thrown in prison for preaching Jesus and him crucified. Now, open your Bibles back up. That was just a trivia pursuit there. So now you know who the zealots are and where they came from. So Gamaliel uses these two historical characters to urge his fellow Sanhedrin men to treat the followers of Jesus the same way. Jesus has died. They too will disband sooner or later. Perhaps a few will meet house and house kind of like the zealots did, but they're not going to be any real threat. But there's a very strange something that he says in verse 39 that's been talked about by scholars for centuries. Because Gamaliel leaves open the possibility that this is a genuine movement of God. He says, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. If that's true, gentlemen, let's don't kill them. Let them go. It's going to die out. Or if this thing's of God, then we're going to be on the wrong side of history here. The bottom line, do nothing. So this powerful group of 70 people from two different groups of Pharisees and Pharisees and Sadducees, they take his advice. They do nothing. Well, they flogged the apostles for good measure. They gave them a good beating. Probably the 39 lashes, one short of 40, which they thought would kill, kill people. That was probably done to appease the fundamental Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because they wanted some blood. And then they were ordered not to speak about Jesus anymore. Who is this Gamaliel? Why would he say something like that? There's no definitive answer. There is some sketchy... Christian traditions, it's not very reliable, but it's there. And even the Eastern Orthodox Church has a Saint Gamaliel. Some say that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Sort of like another Pharisee that we read about in the Gospels, Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea. Some think that maybe he was a secret disciple of Jesus and this was his way of kind of standing before the council and making sure the apostles got off and by the way if you know you you know fight this we might find ourselves fighting against God some traditions say that Gamaliel was in the temple when Jesus was 12 years old there debating with the scholars that Gamaliel was one of those scholars that Jesus impressed as a 12-year-old in the temple. So there is some tradition that Gamaliel, either before this Sanhedrin trial or afterwards, became a follower of Christ. And this is why he's pushing to give the disciples a break and say, you know, we might just find ourselves fighting against God here. Now again... 
it's sketchy, sketchy tradition there. And there's no support of this in scripture. And my kind of take on this is that if he had become a follower of Jesus Christ, being such a high profile character, leader of the Pharisees, a voice in the Sanhedrin, you would think Luke would write about it somewhere in one of his gospels or certainly in the book of Acts to say, hey, Gamaliel, remember him? Hey, he became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But there's no mention of that. So my guess is more than likely his wise counsel of tolerance was more of a political move than any genuine love for the apostles of Jesus. This was a tactical victory over the Sadducees in the council. He was able to kind of put the Sadducees down. No, we're not going to kill them. You who don't believe in the resurrection. We're just going to let them go. This is the better course of action. I wonder if perhaps Gamaliel was probably not as tolerant and gentle as he appears here. The reason I say that is he's got a young student. He has a close admirer and follower. He's going to mentor this young man and he's going to become Gamaliel's protege. And this young man is going to be a brutal, savage persecutor of believers in the early church. His name is Saul. Perhaps Saul was in and around this Sanhedrin meeting. I don't know. But at some point, the storyline is going to change from let's be tolerant to Saul, go get him. Stone Stephen, you have our permission to go house to house and drag out every believer you can find and deal with them as you want to. Gamaliel mentored Saul and in the next few pages in Acts, we are going to see a bloody persecution of the early church. Now we know this is a fact because it's recorded in Acts, but also in Acts chapter 22 verse 3, when Saul, who changes his name to Paul, is put on trial for preaching, he says, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. But I was brought up in this city, educated, here it is, under Gamaliel. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today. Thankfully, Saul became a believer in Christ, had his name changed to Paul. And God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And Saul, Paul, was a high-profile convert to Christianity who once was a persecutor under the tutelage of Gamaliel. Well, that's a lot of history, isn't it? What does this mean to us today? Well, the conclusion of the story is that the apostles get a severe beating 
And they're told not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. But in verse 41, 42, I want you to see the two things the apostles did. First of all, they rejoiced in the circumstances that they had to go through. Verse 41, so they went on their way from the presence of the council after they'd been flogged, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now notice they weren't rejoicing over the physical beating. That was painful. But they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Now again, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And if you'll go back in his gospel, he mentions the words of Jesus in chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. Jesus said, and Luke records, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Guys, here's what's going to happen. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for preaching Jesus Christ whom God raised up. The second thing they continued to do, not only did they rejoice, they continued to teach and preach Jesus in spite of the whipping. They were consistent in their following of Jesus. And they did it publicly. I love verse 42. And every day in the temple. They went right back to the temple. They'd already been in the temple once. Got arrested. Went back to the temple. Got brought to the camp. Got beat back in the temple. Day to day. House to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus in the Christ. Isn't that not incredible? What a great story this is. They're not one-hit wonders. And we not only remember the song they sang or the message they preached, we remember their names. Peter, James, and John. Thutis and Judas were flashes in the pan. They were wannabes. They had this little kingdom they wanted to usher in. But it was very temporary, short-lived. It didn't last long. They fought with human weapons, but the disciples were the real deal. And we still read about them. And the kingdom they preached is eternal. And they fought with supernatural power. This is an incredible story. So before we come and share our prayer request, because every prayer request is prayed over, before you come and give your tithe this morning, before you come and, and take communion, I think it's a good time to just hit the pause button. Let's try to make some practical application here. Based on this passage, how are we to live our lives? Let's think about our personal walk with Jesus, not the person next to you. Are we 
one-time flashes who bore fruit for Christ once upon a time, but we just kind of faded back into a worldly lifestyle. Are there spiritual things that we did once upon a time, but we've not really been consistent in our following of Jesus? Are we like some of these former celebrities, sadly living off of some past accomplishments? Well, I, I read my Bible all the way through once. I shared my faith with somebody 10 years ago. I used to volunteer in children's ministry. I was one time engaged in small group community. You know, I, I remember a season when, when I was a really good spouse. I led my family well. I remember that time. You know, I, I remember there's a time I enjoyed praying. How's the Holy Spirit going to fill in those blanks for you? I uh, the group at 9 o'clock that serves so that we can worship here uh, had them be my kind of uh, research group. I said, okay, guys, give me, give me some other things that, that you struggle with that you can confess before God. Some said, studying the Bible deeply and daily. I used to do that. Not consistent in it. I have this fear of stepping out and following God's purpose. I know what God wants me to do. I just can't do it. I used to be focused on other people, but now I'm just focused on me. I've gotten so wrapped up in the things of this world, ballet and soccer, I forget to bring my kids to the things that matter most. These are confessions from our brothers and sisters who are serving right now. Someone said they saw the, something here that um, Gamaliel said that anything of human origin is going to fail, but if it's of God, it's going to last. I wonder how many times we step out to do a ministry, we're just doing it under our own strength and not God's strength. Sometimes we're guilty of that as a church. Played golf with a gentleman this week. Very nice guy. But basically his spiritual story was, I was confirmed once. <laughs> What's your story? Just come genuinely and honestly God. It's, he's going to hear your prayer requests. He's going to accept your tithe. He wants to share in communion with you. But before you do any of that, just, okay, where am I? We have an enemy, just as the apostles did. The Sadducees wanted to kill them. We have an enemy. Satan and all his legions. Jesus said he comes to kill. 
And he comes to steal. He comes to destroy. That's his mission. And for some of us here this morning, Satan has killed your dreams and your goals. And it's kept you from really following Christ the way you should. He will, if he can, kill your desire, your desire to follow Jesus. He would love to send you packing back to your old, normal, worldly life. He desires for you to live a life of inconsistency in following Jesus. My prayer for us this morning is we would not be just once upon a time followers of Jesus. We'd go hard. We'd go full time. Full throttle, all in for him who gave all for us. And would you make that a part of your decision making today before you come to the altar? Let me lead us in prayer.